Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hey there, Cove Church. Uh, If we've not met, my name's Brandon. It's a pleasure to be with you. If you're here for the first time, welcome. If you're back a second time, welcome back. Uh, We welcome back our pastors, Pastor Paula, Pastor Aaron. In fact, if they're online uh, with you, go ahead and just uh, maybe put a little note in the chat. Uh, Welcome back to Pastor Aaron and Pastor Paula. We conclude our summer series today, uh, The Gospel of Done, Not Do. We walk through Galatians and we've been walking through First Thessalonians and we end today, just like we ended summer this week, we end with chapter five. And the Apostle Paul, if you're, you'll remember, he began the letter with uh, this verse, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, Cove Church, I want to talk about hope. What's interesting is he bookends the entire letter we find in in chapter five. He comes back around to this idea of faith, love, and hope this way. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And it's often, friends, it's often that the Apostle Paul uh, as we're reading uh, his his letters, he will leave many times breadcrumbs to kind of a central thought. Um, you know, we, we, we might read multiple chapters and then kind of tucked away in those chapters. It might just be one word. It might just be one verse or maybe a couple of verses. The Apostle Paul kind of, you know, he, he drops the curtain on what his central thought is. And I think it's the same in chapter five. If you look at verse eight, he says this, and for a helmet, the hope, of salvation, the Apostle Paul is likely thinking of the imagery, what he has in mind, the imagery of a, of a Roman centurion, something that the church at Thessalonica would understand, I think, fairly well. And uh, if there are kind of uh, kill shots, if you will, on the human body, uh, the heart and the head, he talks about the breastplate of faith and love. And then he says, we need to protect our minds uh, with the helmet of salvation. Listen, friends, if, if Satan can shoot an arrow through the heart of our faith and love, or maybe shoot an arrow into the way we think about uh, our salvation, the hope of salvation. He's won a great battle. And Paul says, he seems to be saying that we, we need to protect the way that we think about this promised salvation in Jesus, his return. Are we full of hope? Are we feeling hopeless. It's been said that a person can live 40 days roughly without food. They can live about three days without water. They can live about eight minutes without oxygen, but no more than a second without hope. Napoleon Bonaparte said this, a leader is a dealer in hope. I like that, uh, a hope dealer. Uh, If leaders are to be a hope dealer, how about uh, Christ's followers? The great theologian Mark Twain said this, Lord, save us all from old age and, and broken health and a hope tree that has lost the faculty of putting out blossoms. And Richard Rohr, theologian, said this, the theological virtue of hope is the patient and trustful willingness to live without closure, without resolution, and still be content and even happy because our satisfaction is now at another level and our source is beyond ourselves. There's a foundation 
that started in Topeka, Kansas called the Menninger Foundation. It was started in 1919 and it consisted then of, of a clinic and a sanatorium and a school of psychiatry, all of which bear the Menninger name. And in 2003, that, that clinic moved to Houston and the foundation was started by doctors Carl Will and Charles Menninger. And because of the, the clinic's uh, reputation, the, the clinic became a, a, the kind of the mental health facility or treatment center of choice by athletes and Hollywood stars and other, other celebrities among them. Some of these names you might recognize, Max Bemis of the band Say Anything, Richard Carpenter of the famous brother-sister duo, The Carpenters, Brett Favre of the Green Bay Packers, Judy Garland, Marilyn Monroe, to name a few. And the staff was asked in some research by Dr. Bruce Larson about some of the ingredients that were successful in the treatment of those who the emotionally disturbed is, is the phrase that he used. And the entire staff, Cove Church, unanimously singled out hope as the most important factor in treatment. And so what I want to do, I always like to create a, a definition, at least a working definition, not the definition, but what is the biblical definition of hope? We might say it this way. It's the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in his faithfulness. Let me read that again. The confident the biblical hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in his faithfulness. It's not mathematical certainty. It's moral certainty. It's not psychological certainty. Rather, it's theological certainty. Hope is that portion of our faith that looks to the future. This is where we find the relationship of faith and hope. In fact, Hebrews 11.1 1, gives us, if you will, a definition of hope, or excuse me, a definition of faith says this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. There it is. The conviction of things not seen by faith. If we look at it, faith as kind of the overarching thing. By faith, we look back at Christ's work on the cross and we accept that by faith. By faith, we look at our current circumstances and we apply the promises of God. And, and hope's faith uh, looks forward to the future, the, the second coming of Jesus, the hope of heaven. We could say it this way, the biblical hope is faith directed at the future or hope is faith in the future tense. In fact, if we take away the idea of hope, our definition of faith falls apart. Cultures, to be sure, uh, faith, the Bible mentions multiple um, uh, you know, flavors of hope. There, there's, there's a wishful hope, you know, a kind of a crossed finger. So I hope Pastor Brandon can make it through this message. There's, a, there's an expectant hope. And then there is a certain hope. And this certain hope is what we're talking about today. It's a strong hope. It's a trustworthy and anchored hope. So our big idea on the screen is this. We're called to be informed informers, encouragers, and builders of the hope of heaven. I want to read that again. We're called to be informed informers, encouragers, and builders of the hope of heaven. If we go back to chapter four that Pastor Dwayne walked us through last week, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters. Another word for that would be ignorant, uh, another translation says. And what's interesting, church, is the Apostle Paul uses this word throughout the New Testament, but he uses it around five specific subject matters that he doesn't want the church, his readers, 
to be uninformed about. Romans 11.25, he doesn't want them to be uninformed about Israel's place in God's plan. Number two, he doesn't want them, 1 Corinthians 10.1, he doesn't want them to be uninformed about typology in Scripture. As we, as we look through the Old Testament, we see types and shadows of Jesus. I, I wish we could spend some more time there. Number three, 1 Corinthians 12.1, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. Number four, 2 Corinthians 2, I don't want you to be uninformed about Satan's tactics. And then number five, 1 Thessalonians 4, I don't want you to be uninformed about Christ's return. Now, Cove Church, uh, after 2,000 years uh, since, you know, since the Apostle Paul wrote these things, what do you think I find as a pastor the church to be most uninformed about? What are the top five things generally? <laughs> it would be these very things. That's why we're talking about the second return of Jesus today. And so, Paul, if you don't, if you don't want us to be uninformed about, about Christ's second coming, why don't you inform us? Which he does that in chapter five. And so we could probably divide it this way. Number one, hope's timing verses one through three. Hope's participant verses four through 10. Hope's response, a large section, verse eight, verses 11 through 22, and then 25 through 27. And then hope's sanctification verses 23 and 24. Let's look at them quickly. Hope's timing. Notice that the apostle Paul says the day of the Lord. And what he's referring to here, church, is there was the first advent of Jesus. That word advent means, means to come or, or, or coming. He came 2,000 years ago. He's coming again. What Paul's referring to here is the rapture of the church. That, that word rapture, it's an interesting word. But Christ coming for his church, for you and I, for Christ's followers. He's coming again. He says it's going to come like a thief in the night. Hope's timing. It sounds a little creepy. A thief, what the Apostle Paul has in mind here, I think, Cove Church, is the idea of surprise. Uh, skilled thieves usually don't leave a sticky note, right? Hey, listen, just want to let you know, I've been casing your house for the last two weeks, and I noticed that you leave at the same time every morning, and so I'll be back tomorrow morning about 8 a.m., uh, you know, to kind of ransack the place. My wife and I uh, lived in Northern California, and every year that we lived there, almost like clockwork, we had our vehicles broken into and stuff was stolen. I never received a sticky note. Paul says, it's going to be a surprise to which all of us might say, you know, Pastor B, that doesn't sound super hopeful. Thieves and surprises. I don't even like surprises. Paul shifts, shifts gears in verses four through 10 to hope's participant. Who are going to be the participants in the, in the second coming of Jesus? And he says this, but you are not of the darkness. You, brothers and sisters, those who have put your faith in Jesus, you're, you're not of the darkness. For that day to surprise you, there it is. For that day to surprise you like a thief. Paul uses this imagery of darkness and light, of being asleep or being awake. And he says, listen, you're not children of the night. You're children of the day. You, you, you live in, in the light and hope of Jesus Christ. You're not asleep, you're awake. And so you may not know when he's coming, but you know that he's coming. And so you're not gonna be surprised. He's, he's writing again, church. Remember, he's writing back to this church these people who heard his message of the gospel and they put their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, listen, in this section, you're not destined for wrath. You're destined for heaven. That's the hope that we have. And you're not gonna be surprised at the second coming of Jesus. And so because of this, because of this hope that we have, he shifts to our response. Verses uh, basically eight through 27. Um, 
Cove Church, have you heard that phrase like drinking water from a fire hose or drinking water from a fire hydrant? Uh, th that's strong imagery. Maybe you started a new job and there's just this learning curve that's super steep or, you know, you, you started a new class and you have three or four different texts and you're reading, you know, multiple chapters a night. You're, you're drinking water from a fire hydrant. And the, and the Apostle Paul kind of does this in our text, like this rapid fire of, of ways our response to this great hope of salvation that we have. He lists at least 21 things here. I could probably make the case for more, but we'll keep it conservative. Uh, number one, he says, put on the breastplate of faith and love. Put on the helmet of salvation. Respect those who labor among you. Esteem them very highly. Be at peace with yourselves. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with the idle. Uh, or be patient with them all. Speaking of the idle and the faint-hearted and the weak, he says, don't repay evil with evil. Do good to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything, particularly the prophetic. Hold fast to what is good. Again, particularly in the prophetic. Abstain from every form of evil. Pray for us, me and my ministry team. And, I, and I'm holding you under oath to read this letter out loud to the church at Thessalonica, to which all of us would say, wow, Paul, that is a lot. I thought this was the gospel of done, not do this. Sounds like a lot of doing. Come church, listen. The Apostle Paul is pointing to faith's grateful response to what Christ has done. Remember, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And so because all Christ has done, it's my, this would be the Christ followers, it's my great pleasure. It's my great honor. It's the least I can do for all he's already done. Am I going to be perfect, you know, at, at these 21 things or more that Paul outlines? No. But it's my great joy to begin living my life this way. This is my response to this great hope that I have because of what Jesus has done. Cultures, let me ask you a question. What if every Christ follower lived this way, that this was their response? What, what, what kind of world would we live in? Do you think that we might be able to establish the kingdom of God on, on, on earth as it is in heaven, just a little bit more? Because our hope is not simply confined to Christ's second appearance. It includes establishing his kingdom of life and health, wholeness, forgiveness, and joy now because of his first appearance. So how about you? We're reading Paul's words, but how about you? Where is your hope meter today? Perhaps you need some encouragement. Paul says in chapter four and chapter five, twice, he says it in the last two chapters, encourage one another, build one another up with these words. What words? The, the words that I'm reminding you that Jesus is coming back to get you because he loves you because of the work that he's already done at his first appearance. He's coming back in a second appearance so that you could live with him for eternity. Pastor Rick Warren wrote a book on hope and he did a lot of research about not just hope, but what brings hopelessness. And he received thousands of responses to that. Here was his top 10. Number one, you feel alone and abandoned. Number two, life seems out of control. Number three, you don't see a purpose. Number four, maybe you're grieving a loss today. Number five, you don't have what you need. Number six, 
You've done something wrong. You've hurt other people. There's some things maybe you're feeling guilt and shame about. Or maybe something, number seven, someone has done to you. You've been deeply wounded by someone else. Maybe you're pulled in the wrong direction over and over again. We would call this temptation. The teeth of temptation, number nine, you're hounded by fear. It's closing in on you, number 10. When all looks like defeat, no matter what road you turn down, it looks like you're defeated. Friends, maybe you find yourself in one of these areas or maybe multiple areas. Could it be you needed your church, Cove Church, to heed Paul's admonition to encourage and build one another up with the confident expectation of what God has promised? So let me address that. Where do we find our confidence? Where, Where do we find this confident expectation? Remember, the second half of our definition is that the strength of biblical hope is found in God's faithfulness. Do you know that in the Old Testament, there, there are about three, well, over 300. There are over 300 prophecies about Christ's first appearance and he fulfilled every one of them to a T. Do you know that there are three times that many, over a thousand prophetic utterances about Christ's second return? So my question is what kind of confidence, what kind of hope should that give us about Christ's second return? There was a fourth element in our outline of 1 Thessalonians 5 that I want to come back to. If we're to be informed informers of this hope, it's hope's sanctification. Look at verses 23 and 24, two of the most incredible verses in all of the Bible, not just this chapter, not just in this letter, but the entire Bible. Paul says this, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That, that word sanctification speaks of a process of being conformed to the image of Christ. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Brandon, will I ever be complete? Well, you know, I, 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 I certainly don't live all 21 of these things that Paul outlined. There's probably more in the Bible. Will I ever be complete? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body, I wish I could spend some more time there, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 24, look at this promise. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Friends, listen, if your hope hasn't risen just a few notches in the last few minutes, I pray that it does right here with these verses. Again, one of the most amazing set of verses in all of the Bible, even in our response, in our, in our response to live holy that we talked about last week and, and, and Paul outlines this week, sometimes in our weak, feeble, you know, awkward, misguided steps toward Jesus, Paul comes back around and he says, the one who did it will do it again. The one who has already done the work is faithful to continue to do the work and he will complete the work in you, no matter who you are, what you've done or what's been done to you or what you're struggling with. Pastor B, I don't know if, you know, you know, if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready to see Jesus. I, I stumble in so many ways. You know, life seems out of control. I feel so far from God. I haven't lived one of those, you know, 21 irrefutable responses of holiness the, that the Apostle Paul outlines. Paul would say the pressure's off. He ends the letter, it's, it's, it's already, it's a gospel of done, not do. Friends, the pressure is off. I'll wrap up this way. 
This is a story of uh, the USS Thresher on April 9th, 1963. Uh, the Thresher, now commanded by Lieutenant Commander John Wesley Harvey, began uh, some post, what they call post overhaul trials. And it was accompanied by a submarine rescue ship called the Skylark. And she sailed about 190 uh, nautical miles off the coast of Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And on the morning of 10 April, it started, the Thresher started some deep dive uh, test exercises. And as the, as the Thresher neared uh, the test depth, the Skylark received some garbled communications over the underwater telephone indicating, you know, some minor difficulties. We're having to, you know, have positive, you know, we have to have this positive angle up, but it was garbled. And when the Skylark received no further communication, surface observers gradually realized the Thresher had sunk. Publicly, it took some time to finally announce that all 129 officers, crewmen, and military and civilian technicians aboard were presumed dead. What's interesting is the last known communication was in Morse code from the Thresher to the Skylark, and it was this. Is there any hope? Cove Church, the Christ followers' response to this question, now and in the life of not yet, the one that is to come is this, yes, emphatically, yes, there's hope. There is a confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is not in our strength, it's in his faithfulness. And because of this, we're to be informed informers, encouragers and builders of the hope of heaven. Maybe wherever you're at, unless you're driving, uh, I'll have you close your eyes and I want you to just listen to my words, I want you to be encouraged and built up with this. Maybe in all the chaos of life and the questions of life, when all seems out of control, in the hurt that you've maybe sustained that you're having a hard time forgiving someone else for or the, the hurt that you've dispensed that you're having a hard time forgiving yourself for, and the fear that seems to wrap itself around you and squeeze your chest in your lack when God seems so far away, Cove Church, listen, there is a way to live now that is countercultural to just about everything that we're experiencing and walking through in our society. It's a way of living that brings hope and establishes God's kingdom. And on those days that you don't feel like you can live anywhere close to Paul's long list of 21 responses of holiness. I want you to remember these words from the Apostle Paul. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He's faithful. He will surely do it. Cove Church, take hope today. The Holy Spirit is at work in you and he's not gonna let up. He's faithful. And finally, Christ follower, lover of Jesus, there's a day coming when every tear will be wiped away loved ones will be re-embraced. Every question will be reconciled. Every injustice will be accounted for and we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. There's coming a day where we will see Jesus face to face and faith will be realized. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this hope that we have today that there is coming a homecoming 
that there's a way to live now. There's a way to establish the kingdom of God now because of what you've done. And in this, we bring hope today of a future hope, our homecoming with you. We encourage one another today with these words. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Bless you, Coach. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.